Matthew 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream And said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Well, at this stage of the game, with only um, just over a week to go until Christmas, there's only one thing on anyone's mind, and that is Christmas presents. Kids are sort of climbing up the walls with excitement um, about what they're going to get. The rest of us are waking up in a cold sweat, wondering what on earth we're going to give. Who is to blame for all of this? Well, there's a certain St. Nicholas... He's certainly got a lot to answer for. So this 4th century guy, he became a bishop in what is now modern-day Turkey. Apparently he used his entire inheritance to give to those in need, especially to children. And his name became modernised to Santa Claus, and the rest, as they say, is history. And in fact, he died on December the 6th, and in some European countries that is still the main day for giving gifts. But this tradition of giving gifts at Christmas time actually predates Nicholas by some several hundred years. At the beginning of the first century, some wise men came from the east to see the Christ child. And they came bearing gifts. And we heard about it 
in the Bible passage I just read, and also in the, the carol that we just sung together. The carol doesn't get off to the best start. It's got two mistakes in the first three words, uh, we three kings. The Bible doesn't actually tell us how many there were. Three is just speculation because there were three gifts. And the Bible says that they were wise men. So not kings, but royal advisors. But after that rocky start, the carol is actually pretty good as it unpacks the significance of the gifts that they brought. A significance which otherwise may be lost on the modern reader. In fact, to us, I guess today, the gifts that they were given, that they gave, probably seem a little bit odd. I mean, put yourself in their situation, these three wise men. You're off to visit a family to celebrate with them the birth of their child. What kind of gifts would you take? A baby beanie, a blanket, a cuddly toy, a unicorn onesie. What do the wise men give the child? Well, they give gold and frankincense and myrrh. The Huffington Post ran an article on on weird Christmas gifts that people have actually been given. They had things like a piece of string or a toilet brush with sequins glued onto it. Or someone got a plastic bag containing $3.86. Another person got given a snowboard. A snowboard with no bindings and no boots. Just the board for someone who lives in a city with no mountains anywhere near. Mind you, I asked my wife what she wants this year for Christmas. And she said, a residential week for the dog. If you'd locked me in a room for a thousand years with a blank sheet of paper, I would never have come up with that. Now, the gifts of the wise men may strike us as equally odd presents for a baby, or in fact a toddler, Jesus, who was anything up to two years old by this stage. But in the context of the time, and in the context of the Bible, they're gifts with profound significance. They tell us what is special about this child. They tell us who he is and what he is going to do. And they tell us why Christmas is such a big deal. The first gift, gold, tells us that Jesus is the king. So gold is what you find in a palace, and it's associated with power. It's associated with royal rule. So I've got at home a book called the uh, uh, called Periodic Tales. It's about the various elements. And the chapter on gold says this. It says, gold is the key to power. The pharaohs reigned for 3,000 years relying on their gold. Then you've got all those myths, haven't you, about a gold ring which will give the, the wearer ultimate power. It comes up in Wagner's Ring Cycle and in Lord of the Rings. Or at Buckingham Palace a few years ago, they had an exhibition called Gold and it was showcasing 50 gold items from the royal collection. And the first bit of the exhibition explored ways in which gold, it said, had been used to reflect kingship. Well, in the Bible, gold has the same associations, royal associations. When the Queen of Sheba, in the Old Testament, when the Queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon, she came, it says, with very much gold and with precious stones. The Old Testament prophets look forward to the day when God would send the ultimate king called the Christ or the Messiah. And that is who the wise men come looking for. 
So you'll see in the passage in verse 2, when they arrive in Jerusalem, they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod then asks the religious leaders in verse 4 where the Christ was to be born. And they quote an Old Testament passage which says in verse 6 that from Bethlehem shall come a ruler. So as one to be born king, gold was a fitting present for this child. But this was just not any old king. As the Christ, Jesus would be the king not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. And not just for a few years, but forever. At the end of Matthew's account, when you read it, you find Jesus saying this. He says, all authority, all authority on the heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And throughout the gospel accounts, he gives proof that he has that kind of authority as the king God has appointed to rule his world. Healing the sick, calming a storm, raising the dead. And in these deeds of power, he also gives glimpses of the good life. So what life would be like in the kingdom when he returned? Now, isn't that what our world needs? Isn't that what we long for? A ruler with the unique combination of both absolute power and absolute goodness. Someone who can sort things out. Someone who can give us the perfect world that we all want. But not everyone welcomed the news. Not everyone welcomed the news. Have a look at verse 1. It says that Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. Herod had been king of Judea since 40 BC. And this news of another king being born was not what he wanted to hear. He saw this other king as a challenge. A challenge to his authority. A challenge to his power. And so we read in verse 8 that he tries to get the wise men to lead him to the child, claiming that he wanted to worship him too. But when we get to verse 13, it reveals that actually he wanted to destroy the Christ. And when the wise men didn't play ball, he resorted to genocide. He wiped out all the boys in Bethlehem, aged two or under, in his attempt to take out Jesus. He didn't know the family had already made their escape. Now, Herod's reaction is extreme. But the Bible says there is something of Herod in all of us because we want to be king. We want to run our lives as we see fit. And Jesus as king is a threat to that kind of self-rule. On the ship of my life, I want to be the captain. And even if I'm welcoming Jesus in some sense, I guess it will be in the sense of, well, he can come on board to help, he can come to give advice, but he's not going to take the wheel. But if Jesus really is the king God has appointed, he does know best. And rejecting his rule just puts us on a collision course with someone who is much bigger and who is going to rule. If the first gift is about the rule of God, the second gift, frankincense, is about relationship with God. So if gold is what you find in a palace, frankincense is what you found in the temple. So the place where God met with his people. God had given his people a special building in Jerusalem where he met with them. 
and he'd given them special priests to be mediators between them and God. And in the temple, incense made from frankincense, incense made from frankincense was burned every day in the temple. And the place would have been filled with the fragrance from the frankincense. So why is that a fitting gift for Jesus? Well, simply because Jesus is how we now meet with God. He's, he's where we now meet with God. So the temple, the priests, that was a temporary setup that God had given. And they were models and they pictured what Christ would do when he came. And so Jesus talked about himself and his body as being the temple. And so to know God, we go to him. We don't go to a building. And Jesus is the priest. And so to know God, we go to him, not to some human priest. So frankincense was a fitting gift. No special building anymore. So churches are not special places where God now dwells. Christians can meet in cinemas or on boats. No special priests anymore. Just church leaders who teach the Bible. It's all Jesus now. So we come to know God through him. We relate to God through him. So Jesus is the connecting place between heaven and earth. Now that's great news. It means to know God, you don't have to travel to some special place somewhere anymore. And you don't have to rely on some special person anymore. Instead, anyone, anywhere can come to God through Jesus. But not everyone welcomed the news. The religious leaders of the day were not impressed. A basketball coach once asked a player, a player who wasn't pulling his weight, he said to him, Son, son, what is it with you, ignorance or apathy? And the player replied, I don't know and I don't care. The religious leaders did know, but they still didn't care. They just weren't bothered. They knew that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. So in verse 5, they've got that Old Testament quotation at their fingertips when Herod asks them. And so when the wise men pitch up with this news that the Christ had been born and they've come to worship him, what would you expect these religious leaders to do? You would expect them to drop everything and go and see him. But they drop nothing. Isn't that a little bit strange? The Christ had been born the fulfillment of centuries and centuries of prophecy and expectation, the event that would divide history into B.C. and A.D. But when these religious leaders heard the news, they stayed in to watch TV and played another game of Fortnite. Bethlehem was five miles down the road, but they couldn't be bothered. The truth is, of course, that they saw no need for Jesus. They had their own little religious system in place by now, which had no room in it for Jesus. They thought they were good enough as they are. They were blind to the state of their own hearts. And their apathy would soon turn to hostility. So these religious leaders were the very people who ended up having Jesus put to death. The spirit of those religious leaders lives on. Just like them, many people today have no need or think they have no need for Jesus. Just don't see the need. They say, well, I'm fine as I am. Thank you very much. If there is a God, I'm sure that he'll accept me as I am. Too busy. Too busy to take the bus to Bethlehem. Couldn't be bothered. Many religious people today 
have no time for Jesus as back then. They think that God will accept them because they're good, or they think they're good, and because they're religious. But if we didn't need him, God wouldn't have sent him. If we didn't need him, God would not have sent him. The third gift, myrrh, is perhaps the the oddest of the three. If gold takes us to the palace and frankincense takes us to the temple, myrrh takes us to the cemetery, the graveyard. At the time, myrrh was used in embalming dead bodies. That is when they, they wrapped a corpse in cloths and they used spices for burial. It's an unusual gift. I must have sent a shiver down the spine of the watching parents. So Matt, uh, my colleague, is on paternity leave at the moment. Imagine me pitching up with a gift for their newborn. They open the large box and inside they find a coffin or a headstone with the child's name on it. Awkward. But for Jesus, entirely fitting. Because dying was what he had come to do. That was his mission. He came to die. He'd come on a rescue mission, and his death on the cross was how he would rescue people. The Old Testament foretold that the Christ would die in our place as a sacrifice, taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven and we can know God. After Jesus was executed on the cross, a man called Nicodemus came to embalm the body with a mixture of myrrh and aloes, spices weighing 34 kilograms. Was Jesus' mother there? Well, we don't know, but if so, the smell of the myrrh would surely have taken her back to that visit of the wise men all those years before and to that gift. We can only make sense of Christmas if we make the connection with Easter. Jesus was born to die. There's a poem about this by a guy called Steve Turner. Here's how it goes. He says, Christmas is really for the children, especially for children who like animals, stables, stars and babies wrapped in swaddling clothes. Then there are wise men, kings in fine robes, humble shepherds, and a hint of rich perfume. Easter is not really for the children, unless accompanied by a cream-filled egg. It has whips, blood, nails, a spear, and allegations of body snatching. It involves politics, God, and the sins of the world. It's not good for people of a nervous disposition. They would do better to think on rabbits, chickens, and the first snowdrop of spring. Or they'd do better to wait for a rerun of Christmas without asking too many questions about what Jesus did when he grew up or whether there's any connection. The gifts the wise men gave were costly. There was no tat. But much more so was God's gift to us, Jesus himself, the Son of God born to die to rescue us. Why would God bother Why would he bother? Well, the myrrh may be a clue because myrrh speaks not just of death but also of love. So myrrh, as well as its application in embalming, was also a much-valued perfume. It's sort of Chanel number five of the ancient world. 
And in the Old Testament, the book it features in the most is a love poem. And so the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What will you get for Christmas this year? Well, we'll soon find out, but it's unlikely to be gold, frankincense and myrrh. But these three gifts remind us why Jesus is such a special gift from God to us. Gold, because Jesus brings us the rule of God. Frankincense, because Jesus brings us relationship with God. Myrrh, because Jesus brings us rescue by God. Well, how will we respond? The hostility of Herod, to not wanting to let Jesus rule over us. The apathy of the religious leaders, not thinking we need Jesus to rescue us. Or the response of the wise man. Verse 11 says that they fell down and they worshipped him. And if we are wise, we will do the same.